Welcome to the Architectural Education Off the Record Podcast, where we discuss everything, something, and nothing about architecture. I'm your host, Vincent Hui. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about first year and all that entails, and we've actually got the best people to talk to it, first year students who are currently finishing off their first term, so first year, sorry, in their second term. So I got Nohemi, Ariel, Noah, and Bella. Care to introduce, introduce yourselves, starting with Nohemi. Hi, I'm Noemi Lopez-Taylor. I'm from London, Ontario. Hi, I'm Ariel. I'm from Toronto. Hey, I'm Noah Spivak from Rochester, New York. Hi, I'm Isabella from Port Perry, Ontario. I thought it would be really good to have you guys on the air today because I've been getting a lot of questions, uh, not only from first years, but uh, I, I've actually, since this has started, uh, basically we've got a lot of questions from students and uh, high school teachers. Um, so I thought it'd be important to get a sense of what first year life is really like um, and just put that out there. And for those students that are listening right now that are in architecture, well, maybe you guys can chime in later and say whether or not these four students have been lying. The first question <laughs> I have for you guys is there's a huge drop in terms of work, I'm sorry, increase in workload, huge drop in grades, um, huge demand on pressures from going from high school to university. So I'll start it off right now. Noah, can you tell me what are some noticeable differences between high school and university education? Yeah, one thing I'd say is it's definitely a big shock in the grades you get. Like you could be a an all-A student in high school, and you could be just like soaring through your classes. And then you get to college, it's kind of like a wake-up call. What do you mean a wake-up call though, man? Wake up call in terms of like, you feel like you're doing just as well as you could have been doing in high school, if not even better. Like if you view yourself in comparison to other students, like even if you feel like you're in a good space, you could still be getting lower grades than you feel like you, you deserve. Okay, so that's that's one thing. Um, Nahemi, do you have another uh, sense of like what differences there are between high school and university? Um, I think a main difference between high school and university is how much you're accountable for. Um, a lot of times in high school, there's um, teachers pushing you to do a lot more work. And there is that in university as well, but you have a lot more of the responsibility on yourself. So you really have to push yourself to do the work and motivate yourself on your own because you're not being like babysat as much, I feel wait, like. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, just full disclosure here. I was your prof. I didn't push you hard enough. Man, I gotta <laughs> work on my game. Man, man. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. So, so okay. So Not, Noah, Noah's saying that the grade and the the kind of uh, grade performance kind of is a, a, a significant wall. On the other hand, uh, Nahemi, you're saying that it's a matter of uh, kind of that autonomy to you know do stuff on your own. Ariel, do you have a sense of any notable differences? Yeah, I mean, high school is really general. So um, everyone's learning the same thing, but I find that here I am, like a kid interested in architecture. But in high school, I'm learning economics and business and English, and it just wasn't interesting for me. But um, okay. going into um, university and architecture, I found that even though the grades aren't like as high up there as in high school, it's, it's still much more interesting. Hmm. So then I would say that with, with respect to the kind of focus, just to be clear, economics and all those other things do come into play for architecture. It's just not <laughs> right in your face right now. All right, Bella, do you have anything to say to this one? Hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just architecture in particular, but like your relationship with your classmates is really different, especially in the ArcSide program because you have the like same classes with all these people. So you build like relationships and you learn to like depend on each other for different things. And it's a really great sense of community, I guess. 
I think one of the things that does come about from what Bella just said is that uniqueness in architectural education. So, I mean, one of the biggest differences that one would normally see is, of course, this magical course called Studio. Um, where ostensibly you're taking a lot of the material from other classes. Say, for example, you're taking sustainable design as well as, say, the construction project and structures. Mm -hmm. Those topics, those concepts that you see in those courses do kind of come together in the design and application of a building uh, in studios. So, uh, guys, do you care to enlighten us, starting with Nohemi, what's the difference between studio and the other courses? Um, studio is super unique compared to the other lecture courses. Um, the lecture courses are often like delivered. Um, you go to lectures, it's kind of similar to high school where teachers are teaching you, but studio is super hands-on and you're really like combining all your other classes as well as design principles um, into one space. And the way it's taught is like very um, personal, I'd say. Like you get a lot of time with your teacher as well as like the class. We're classmates. called props. We're called props, man. <laughs> you get a lot of time with your professors and um, your classmates to figure out designs um, yes. and I, I think it's one of like the highlights I think of all of the courses um, because it really brings everything together it feels like you're working closest to how it would actually be like to work in architecture as a practice. Okay and Ariel do you got anything to add about the studio difference from other of the courses? Yeah I find that um, a lot of the other courses support studio so it's almost like you'll be hands-on one-on-one with a prop designing something and you'll remember something from sustainable design and you'll be able to like incorporate that into your design. So um, studio would be like actually designing buildings and stuff like that and different types of projects, whereas the other courses are more informative. Okay, okay. And then I, I think, Noah, can you tell me though, like there's obviously, you know, what we're getting from the earlier responses that it's a kind of synthesis kind of course, right? But can you tell me about the weighting of the course of Studio? Yeah, so Studio is weighted with three points as opposed to all the other classes which just have one. So that gives you, that makes you see you spending a lot of your time working on Studio versus other classes. Yeah, and, and I think that it merits that because honestly, you can read a textbook, you can read online how to sort out structures or mechanical systems and what have you. But I think that, you know, we ideally pay architects to really negotiate all that stuff, but really uh, it's, it's building up the skills to design something, right? And, and I think that's why we invest so much. It's, it's interesting. If you look at how architectural education is dealt with, it's probably one of the more expensive uh, programs because not only do you have very clear one-on-one -on -one time with the profs, right? There's also uh, clear set rules uh, for accredited programs, right? So in our program, you can only have 15 students per prof in any given um, studio because that's the idealized number that accreditation offers. Whereas in unaccredited programs, which we don't talk about, they got like 40 kids to one prof, which is like an arts degree, right? Um, so we, we offer that. But the other thing beyond that kind of uh, cost of labor, it's also space, right? Um, and this is why I want to talk about studio with respect to space. So in university, space is at a premium. And it's not like economics or, say, chemistry, where you come in, do your lab, do a lecture, and you check out. Um, you know, Bella, can you tell us about the nature of space and studio space? Oh, this is great. Okay, so one of the best things about studio is that you have your own designated workspace and like a pinup board and a locker to keep all your stuff. It makes like studio a great place to work. 
And especially when you're transitioning from like high school to like a heavier workload, like it creates a place for you to like come to studio and like work and like collaborate with other people. And also like you get really close with the people in your studio section because it's that like one prof to 15 student ratio. You have these other 15 or so kids that you like get really close with. Could you spend so much time together? So in studio, though, I think it, it might be worth describing a little bit more. So, you know, you said you have places to store stuff and to work. Um, uh, let's just go straight up. Nohemi, can you describe the studio space that you started off in fall last year with? Um, well, our studio space, it was like two separate sides um, of like eight workspaces that were kind of facing one another. And you had your little like pinup desks and you have your own personal desks um, there. And so... I know I you're like in the same seating arrangement um, during class as well as outside of class. So anytime I would go to studio is where I strictly do work um, is in studio. I would see the same people. I'd be around the same um, studio section and I'd get to like connect and collaborate with people and just talk about what's happening in the studio at all times. Hmm. So can you I, I think moving from that, Ariel, can you describe, though, because based on what Nehemi described, it sounds like you're just working in a cafeteria. I mean, how do you focus? How do you get work done? <laughs> right. Yeah. The, for, the first year studio is like all the way up on the fourth floor of the architecture building. It's, it's pretty isolated and it's all locked up. So only the first year students can get into it. Um, everyone has their own little like nook sort of where there's eight desks like lined up like row by row. So our section specifically had two of these rows. And personally, I love being in the corner because then no one would like bother me. <laughs> but um, yeah, studio was really important, especially now that we're all home, that um, I don't find myself doing as much work as I used to do in studio. Uh, you, know, you know this is recorded, man. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> right. But <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's, that's a good point to start with. So in studio, you, can, you, you guys keep on talking about what will work. And I don't think anyone's really got to nitty gritty of work. But now that we're talking about working from home, let's talk about the basics, right? So we know in studio, typically in first year, we have a lot of large scale surfaces where we have to perhaps draw manually. So you have like a two foot by three foot sheet of paper that you got to draw floor plans and elevations and sections on. And then, of course, later on, we have to make models, which obviously takes a lot of space. And, you know, it's, it's messy sometimes. You got to cut on surfaces. You got to glue things together. You got to let that glue sit and dry. Maybe you have to uh, perhaps apply some sort of adhesives or, or, or coloring to, and that makes a mess, right? And then, of course, there's also this balancing with computer work and uh, printouts. So it is a mess generation. Uh, when you're actually working in studios. So, I mean, very quickly, guys, uh, Noah, you're working on studio right now in America, right? Um, yeah. So tell us, what are the differences between working in studio versus at home right now? Well, I, I want to say one thing that I always look forward to with studios, probably my favorite part, is actually building the model and being able to see your work come to fruition in like a physical model. And I'm okay. pretty bummed that from home, I can't really do that. Um, wait, why not? You, you mean your parents won't let you cut up uh, cardboard on the uh, dining room table or is it that you just can't even find cardboard? Well, yeah. So the supplies that the school has available to us are definitely more useful than the supplies I can find around my house. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. But I, I mean, outside of making models, uh, now when you're working at home, do you find that you're just doing it all on the computer or do you ever still draw? Do you, do you find that? Oh, I definitely still draw. I find that I'm 
using the computer more than I did before, but I'm still drawing and sketching out my ideas before I go to the computer just so I can develop stuff without wasting as much time or without going on the computer kind of like locks you in. Okay. So I, I, you know, it's interesting. I've been talking to a bunch of other students right now, especially during this bit of pandemic uh, situation. And another thing that arises from studio beyond simply the studio as a course and the facility, right? I think it's also the resource, right? We know that you can only learn so much from reading a book and certainly you can only learn so much from talking to profs, right? But it's also being able to be in studio to see what other people do. And, you know, uh, Bella, do you want to talk about that? Um, yeah, for sure. I think we've all done the rounds of like going up and down the different rows of studio and like looking at other people's projects. Um, that's one of my favorite parts of studio. And like we would often go as a studio group and look at other people's studio groups projects. Wait, you travel in packs? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know what? We're really close. We got to squad up anyways. <laughs> um, so you go and you look at how other people have interpreted it. Because, of course, like when you get a studio project, you all have the same like set of guidelines, depending on what your prof wants you to do. And like seeing the variation between other people's stuff or like maybe seeing that they went an extra mile in this way and you want to maybe go that extra step too. And like it really helps to like, like make you do your best. So do you find that you're drawing upon other stuff and like know what to copy and and all that stuff mm -hmm. or are you just going like oh my god look at that that is that is a train wreck and you just like kind of take photos of it and post on instagram like what, what do you do like what, how does this help you um a little bit of both i guess like um oh, seriously you you that person that like, posts hmm? you're taking photos of the projects and posting them oh no <laughs> you're just, not like okay. that i can no, I mean, like, definitely didn't do that so like no. if, if they've done something and you don't really understand and you ask them and like the problem solving technique that they use to like resolve something in their plans or the exterior of their building or maybe how to like simulate structure in first year like stuff like that Let, let's talk about this for a second because you're, you're basically working in studio and everyone can see the stuff that you've been doing right and i think this mm -hmm. might be a little bit different from what you guys had in high school right mm -hmm. um and and you know just throwing this back to let's say noah you know, when you were in high school, you kind of lived on your own. Well, you kind of worked on your own, right? And yes, you might have had group projects, but now that you're dealing with everyone seeing your stuff, how, how, how do you acclimatize to that kind of relationship with, with, with how you do schoolwork? So I actually sat on the corner in studio. I sit kind of in a more secluded spot now, but last semester I was on the corner. So anytime anyone would walk by, they'd always see my stuff right away. And it kind of makes you feel a little self-conscious in a sense, because you're thinking like, oh, you want to make sure that everyone's seeing like your best work. So mm -hmm. you're, you're attempting to like kind of outdo yourself every time because you mm -hmm. want to put out this good image of yourself. So I think it helps with this competitive drive that you have. Well, we'll get to the competition, uh, the competitive drive in a moment, but I, I was just, <laughs> you, but you do hit up a very good point. So I'm just going to book, bookmark that for a second, but, you know, just jump into Nohemi then, you know, in, in the interest of kind of understanding the, the way studio works and people looking at your stuff, you know, do you have to develop a thicker skin? Do you have to like be like, you know, no one's talking about being self-conscious. I mean, you were in a similar vein where you were kind of a little bit more expo uh, less exposed, but still available to, to see people can see your work. I mean, how would you suggest people 
going into architecture really approach having their stuff on their walls or having stuff on the desk? Because last thing you want to do is have like completely brand new IKEA showroom like furniture room. Like you want to have it so it's used, right? So so how do you oh, acclimatize yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I always try my best to put up all of my work. It's mostly just because I like seeing everything that I'm doing. But you really have to get accustomed to in architecture in general that everyone is going to like have an opinion on your work and people are going to want to see your work and you just have to take everything that other people say as something that is constructive or as something that you can use or discuss with someone about. So I think mm -hmm. it's really helpful to put everything up because then it gives other people the opportunity to either discuss your project with you or even help you a little bit and it also makes it so that you're looking at it more critically knowing that other people will see it. So I think it's like one of the better things that you can do even though it does sometimes make you a little self-conscious mm -hmm. I think it's a good thing because if you feel that slight sense of self-conscious you might know why mm -hmm. you feel that way and you might be able to change your design so that you can feel a bit more confident in it so this actually you know that's the very positive spin on this but let's come back to the competitive <laughs> nature right because everything's on display everyone sees stuff the reality is that you aren't just simply here to learn about architecture. Obviously, there is a assessment, there's grades, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we have in our program a competitive system where you have to compete to get in a co-op, you have to compete to get on Dean's List, you have to compete to mm -hmm. get on exchanges, right? There's always this kind of level of competition, which I would say is kind of analogous to the real world, right? Architects mm -hmm. win um, projects by competitions, right? Um, you are dealing with fierce competition when you enter the architectural industry. So um, I'll, I'll throw it to you, Ariel. You know, when you're, when you're going in from high school into first year, I mean, that competitive issue does arise and it confronts you face, you know, first right off the bat really soon. How, how, do you, how would you suggest that students really acclimatize to that kind of competitive nature of studio? Well, I think everyone going in to studio is, is, is trying to do well. So what ends up happening is that I'll see Noemi put up her like great work and I'll be like, you know what? That works so good, but I want to do one extra drawing. And then it starts spiraling because I put on my work and then Bella sees it and she goes, you know what? I'm going to do two extra drawings. So what ends up happening is that everyone in, in studio who puts up their work kind of just starts like spiraling and spiraling and doing more and more. And it ends up just making all of our projects better. And I think going into it, I was, I was kind of like, I didn't want to put up my work because I thought everyone was just going to steal it. But it was, it was more like everyone wants to just see what you're doing so they can, you know, try and do better for themselves. And I think that get back to, uh, gets back to some of the notions that Bella was talking about where it's like a kind of family and you guys it's travel in packs and squads where collectively, you know, after that initial, okay, everyone's cool, we all got our own individual designs. I think collectively you say, okay, this is what as a family, as a section we're going to be doing and it raises the bar throughout the section. So maybe I actually did teach you kids write something. <laughs> um, so so let's, let's talk about a, a couple more things because when you go into architecture, right, there's a lot of differences. And, and I, I'd say it's diff more, more so than just simply going from high school to uh, university. So, I mean, very quickly, if I were to go to each one of you guys and say, what would be one really important tip you would offer to uh, a student coming into first year? I'll start with you, Noah. One important tip that I would have is something that I see myself struggling with is don't be too stubborn. <laughs> Definitely don't get too caught up in ideas that you don't want to let go of because it's really good to be able to mold, mold your designs, mold your ideas and 
improve them throughout the whole process rather than getting stuck on something and trying to like mold it into this form that it's just not going to come out as good as it would if you were a little bit more flexible with it. Yeah, that's, that's really important, I would say. And I'm glad that you, you put that one out there first, because um, a lot of students think that, oh, this is my style. I'm going to do architecture like this. Well, sorry, man, there's, there's been millions of architecture uh, practitioners in the past. And there's honestly nothing new under the sun. So, you know, you're not the first one. You got to learn how to be flexible. And plus, you're in first year, man. The hell, if you knew all everything about architecture, you wouldn't be actually in first year, right? You'd have a license right now. You'd be doing terrible buildings in the Middle East or something. So going <laughs> forward, Nehemi, what would be one major tip you'd offer to students in first year? Um, I guess similar to what Noah said maybe is that I think often in high school, we see everything as something that's super like question and answer, but architecture is very much not that way. Mm. Um, it's super like circular in a process. And so you have to remind yourself that even though you feel like you're following a singular line of like your design to really circle back to different ideas and fix those along the way. Um, because that's, I think, how you get to a finished product that's better rather than just going down one straight line. You know, now we're two for two. That is also another very mature sentiment. And then first years are wiser than you, you look. Um, yeah, like I, I think that one of the things that I deal with having taught first year for decades now, oh my God, I'm old. Um, so I, I realized that a lot of frustration comes about from students that aren't just simply, as Noah put it, like stuck in their ways, but also that they are very objective. Like these are the kids that got 99 and 100s in, in, in like mm -hmm. high school. And they're so used to just saying, here's the definitive answer. And there's such a level of frustration where, wait, wait, so you're giving me guidance, but you're not telling me what the answer is. Or, hey, you know, Vince, you told me to look at, you know, making, I don't know, my, my elevations with, with more porosity. Look, I put a window and it's like, that's not enough. So what more do you want, right? Like, I think that's, um, that's a really important point that it's, it's, a, it's a kind of cyclical, iterative way of designing a building. And then you really have to be patient with it, okay. I guess. So let's try to make it three for three. Ariel, what kind of notable tip would you okay. say? I'm going to completely ruin it. Oh. <laughs> um, for me, I guess, it was more about um, the social aspect of it. You can't really just sit by yourself and do your own work. You, you really do have to talk to other people in your section and find out what they're doing and maybe how they can help you or the other way around, like how you can help them. Because for me going into this program, like I didn't even go to orientation week because I didn't really want to talk to anyone. But I know. being such a niche community <laughs> it is, it was really hard for me not to make friends. So yeah, that's pretty much it. You know what, that actually is three for three because I'll be honest with you, one of the other things that really gets me is when you have first year students who just basically check their watches at the end of the day and say, okay, I'm done and they work from home. And like, I'm not talking about just simply being stupid and like cutting up the dining room table to make a model, right? Uh, like there is so much to be seen and learned uh, while you're in studio. And you know that 90% of the work gets done the last 10% of the time. So if you're in studio, you know, and you see the level as you were talking about the spiraling, you know, if you're talking about looking at to your left and to your right and getting uh, information and insights on how to make your projects better, that's what studio affords you. And if you're not you know, engage with, you know, people being there or even just talking to people and, and engaging that social dynamic. And, and maybe, you know, if everyone in that, in your, in your cohort says, oh, we're going to be doing like sectional perspectives. How do I do that? If you're not there, you're not going to have it. And you're going to be that weird person that looks like they just 
aim for the baseline as opposed to doing all that extra stuff, right? So now we are three for three. So Bella, all on you now. What tip would you offer for first year students? Well, now that you say it, um, don't miss studio. Like <laughs> studio is like one that's of not the a tip. That is like that. Did I'm stealing your tip? I can give another. No, tip. that's not a tip. That's not. But elaborate. That but I'm saying tip. that is that is not a tip. Go to class. That is. A <laughs> Go tip. to class. No, because it's not the same as high school. You miss a class in high school, and someone's there to catch you up and like hold your hand in university. Like especially studio. If you miss class, like that's on you. And like little things in studio that you're like someone mentions once might be like the make or break for your project, maybe in those details. But if you miss that, like careful instruction, like it can take a lot away from your project. Okay, so I, th I think that's, that's also really important too, because you, you're right. Um, I wouldn't say that that's about, I think, you, I think we're four for four, um, but I would say <laughs> that it's not just simply go to class, because I think that's tacit to doing well in no. university. Go to um, class and participate, like be involved, if, especially if architecture is what you want to do for the long haul, like this should be exciting, you, you know? Like <laughs> learning how you can apply all these things that you're learning in different classes to studio. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say it's more than just simply, um, I, I want to elaborate on that because it's not just going to class. I think it's also when you're in studio in particular, it's being able to uh, be attentive to all of the issues mm -hmm. that are at play because let's, let's put things in perspective. Uh, a studio is anywhere between nine to 12 hours um, or 16 hours um, a week, right? Nine, sorry, nine to 15 hours, depending on which year you're in, right? Or grad, mm -hmm. right? And that's a lot. So you could be sitting there and you could wait a couple hours before you talk to the prof. And then, you know, what do you do for the rest of the day? And a lot of people think, well, okay, I'm just going to be attentive for that one half hour slot that I got with my prof. And then I check out, right? That's a very dangerous thing. And I'm glad that you're talking about that. So it's not just simply going to class to check in. It's actually being there so that when new things come out, when say, for example, we're reviewing Noah, right? That stuff that we talk about in Noah's thing, if the prof's doing his or her job right, they'll bring everyone in the class up to speed and say, hey, if Noah's suffering from this problem, then guess what? Everyone else is, so let's address it right there. Where if someone just checks in and leaves after they've done the review, that's dangerous and, and that doesn't help anybody. So I, th I think that is not bad, kids. Four for four, pretty good tips. Okay. So let's talk about, you know, while we're on the negative stuff, though, I think one other issue that's arisen um, is I get questions all the time when I do high school um, you know, presentations. What about those all-nighters? What about those late nights? Do I have to stay late? Do I have to buy a sleeping bag? Do I have to, like, you know, should I even bother going and getting residence, right? Um, you know, you guys are do, have done with uh, the most recent first-year batch. Care to enlighten us on this all-nighter stuff? I'll, I'll start with you, Ariel. Tell me about all-nighters. Is is, first off, are they even necessary? You better I say the right no. answer. I mean, the right answer. well, yes, but actually no. Because, I mean, I went into it saying, like, you know what? I'm not going to do any all-nighters. I'm going to get all my work done early, and it's going to be great. But at the end of the day, as long as you want to make your project better, you're just going to keep working on it. And... Um, that's where the late nights come in because say you have studio on Monday and then again on Wednesday, you know, the better you improve your project for Wednesday, the better it'll get like the, the better feedback you'll get on it. So yeah. it's almost like as long as you want to make your projects better and as long as you want to do well, you'll stay up all night and you'll do as much work as you need to do. You know, I'm, I'm actually glad that you're being candid about this. I mean, kids, do you want to add to this? And then I'm just opening this up. Is anyone, does anyone else want to add to this? Because I got yeah. a couple of things to say. All right, no, go ahead. I can add. I'll just say, like, especially me, end of the first semester, I saw myself really getting caught up in all-nighters. 
I was spending probably 75% of my time in studio and like 25% of my time outside of studio. And I think it does go with what Ariel's saying because you can just keep going and going at a project and just continually improving it. And it's kind of hard to know when's the good time to stop or like, how do you know how to scale the whole thing down and look at a finishing point that's reasonable within the time that you have? Yeah, um, that, that, that's the thing I want to get at. So as much as, and, and I'll be honest with you, like as much as profs like to say, yeah, yeah, just um, get, get, get your time management skills up and do it. You know what? The reality is you're talking about a difference between time management as a skill and personality and disposition as, as something that's inherently tied to who you are, right? I think most designers, most people that are in the program, they will continue working on something, as Ariel said, because not because they, they have to up, you know, up everyone else or like, you know, be better than everyone else necessarily. I think it's just because at a certain point, it just clicks in where you just got to make sure you want to personally make sure that that project is done really well. And that's where you kind of lose yourself in, in the minutia and forget, oh yeah, they only wanted us to do this. But instead I started like, you know, I, I remember I'm guilty for the two. I had to, at one point when I was a kid, I had to design a restaurant and then I started designing at one point, look like the forks. <laughs> like I honestly have drawings of like the forks, right? I pulled like a Frank Lloyd Wright thing where I was like, I'm going to design every single thing down to like the toilet paper rolls. Right. So it, at the end of the day, you, you realize that you shouldn't have to. Right. Um, so it's really difficult to say to a student, yeah, just manage your time better, right? Yes, it does help if you don't bank on getting all that stuff done in the last like day of the, of the deadline. But I think it's also know what you draw for um, a boundary for what you should aim to do, right? Okay, that was pretty profound. Ladies, you got anything to say on that one? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> I think with all-nighters, personally, I think yeah, they, they basically get done when, when you're really caught up in your work. And, and it, it's a big difference between pulling an all-nighter because you left everything last minute and pulling an all-nighter because you really just want to get it there and you've been putting in all this time anyways. And, like, you just need that extra, like, room for some, like, design to finish. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's kind of where it comes in. Like, you shouldn't be pulling all-nighters because um, because you're leaving everything to the last day. I think it usually happens when you're feeling, like, really inspired and you're really feeling like you could, like, round out your whole project. You just need, like, a little bit more time. Okay. No, I, I, and I, I do see that as well. Um, I think that most students, though, um, unfortunately or not, that, that real drive often happens too late in the process. So I think um, one of my tips to students coming into the program is that though the profs can't give you or design your building or give you explicit, like the answer is 27, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the other thing is just, I think it's incumbent on the prof to work with the students um, to say, look, this is what you're gonna aspire for and set micro uh, deadlines. I think that's really useful. Yeah. At least this is the way I operate because if I just say, you know, 20 days from now, you got to submit all this stuff, right? You'll be like, yeah, whatever, right? Whereas if, yeah. if you were able to kind of break down little milestones, that does help out so that, you know, collectively everyone aims to achieve certain things so that we can compare and contrast. And also you as a designer can start saying, well, you know what, now I understand I've been thinking about all these different things where I wouldn't have otherwise had contemplated that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think one other thing I want to talk about in first year, you know, we, we talked about the high school differences. Now, it's really important to get a sense of this, right? Group work. We all know that group work is 
painful. And it's funny, I talk to high school students and they say, yeah, I love working in groups. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Those are probably the students that are the, the outcasts, right? They're the kids that just do nothing and they bank on everyone else doing the work because nobody in, I don't know, university, but let, especially in, you know, architecture, I don't think really, if you had a choice, architecture students would probably say, you know what, I'm not going to do group work. I'd rather do it on my own. Yeah. I mean, let's just ask uh, Bella, what, what's your call on group work? What would you tell an incoming student about group work? Um, group work is hard, especially in university, because you depend so much on other people's um, commitment to projects, especially if you have like usually a strict schedule for yourself and you keep up on your work and you don't leave it to the last minute. You might be in a group of people who are polar opposites, um, I guess. Tips for working in a group would be like creating a schedule and like trying to figure out who in your group's going to work with you and who won't and maybe dividing work up like that. Okay. Well, you don't always get the chance to pick your groups. You know that, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, uh, but, but beyond that, like you're talking about uh, different work schedules and what have you. I think one of the big, you know, to elaborate on what you're talking about, I think one of the big issues that often occurs is that unlike high school where the teacher can say, hey, everyone do this, right? Um, we, we as profs, we, we kind of assume that you guys are grownups, right? Whereupon mm -hmm. you say, look, you guys figure it out. Like, if you can't get along now, you know, grow up. You, you, in the industry, it's not like I'm going to have a team where I'm like, everyone was like, you know, buddy, buddy, right? Mm -hmm. You just got to put together a team to get the project together, right? So I think group dynamics is one thing, right? Um, I don't know. Noah, do you have any tips on how to deal with group work? I would say it's hard because it's hard to rely on every member of the group to get something done if you do divvy up the work in that way. So I'm still trying to figure out what I think about groups. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we know, we're just not gonna say it. Uh, no, Nohemi, <laughs> Nohemi, tell me, tell me what, you know, in the most positive Nohemi way you can. <laughs> um, yeah, just laugh um, about it, but say it. What, what would you say is a good strategy to deal with group work in first year, like especially coming in from high school? Uh, oh gosh. Um, I do it all yourself. <laughs> well, I mean that, no, but, but Noah, you are raising a good point because when you do do it yourself, at least you know that you're going to get it done. But unfortunately, then there's just going to be this buildup of hate and resentment and nothing's inherently wrong with that. But I mean, you'll have done all the work and everyone else gets the same grade as you. And you're just going to use that hate to, you know, use it for something else later on. right? I mean, nope. there are peer evaluation sheets that come into oh. handy in oh, those do situations. They, though? Do they though? Honestly. <laughs> I think I find that peer evaluation sheets, though, tend to be more popularity contests and, and like, you know, point out who I the know. pariahs are in the class as opposed to like really assessing their academic contributions, right? I know. Group work is a really hard one to get through. And I think, I don't know, maybe yeah. if you can get, like, if you can build good morale with your group, maybe that'll like push people to work harder. But it is really difficult to sort of stand up in your group and say like, hey, we need to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the harder parts is to just kind of hold other people accountable if you need to, especially yeah. coming from high school where everything's a little like hush hush and like, oh, what we're all mean? friends here. Oh, really? Is that, is that I, I don't know, high school is so far from me. I don't remember. Um, Ariel, <laughs> you, got, you got anything to say on this one? Yeah, I think you have to be able to like compensate a little bit because what ends up happening is that say, my standard for a mark is like a 70% and I'd be happy with that. But your standard Bella's for a mark standard. should not be 70%. Yeah, come on. <laughs> okay. But let's be real. <laughs> right? But Bella wants a 95%, right? Which is mm -hmm. okay, sure. 
But what's going to end up happening is that I'm going to do my 70% and then Bella's going to fill up all the other work. Mm-hmm. So maybe if someone else wants to do better, like you need to be able to compensate for that a bit. Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, that, okay, group work was one thing I want to cover. Nature Studio was one other component. All-nighters for sure was something that had to be dealt with. But let, let's talk about a couple of other things. One other notable first year uh, challenge is, of course, computers, right? Um, and I think that uh, there's another episode I'm going to be dealing with, with respect to, uh, hardware and equipment that we would expect to have in studio. But I mean, from a computing standpoint, there's a lot to learn when you come from high school to university, unless you had some tech courses or classes that pertain to 3d modeling or what have you, you know, you really have to learn to, you know, ramp up real fast. So are there any tips you'd have with respect to say the software side of things? I'll start with you, Ariel. Yeah, um, for me, I learned Photoshop in like grade nine, but just because I wanted to like Photoshop my friends doing stupid stuff, like I did, <laughs> came in so, so good for me. It's, it's, not, it's not like a 3D modeling program where you, you have to have like a project, you have to be like kind of making something. It's, it's, it's basically an art tool. And I think it's really important to learn even going into university and it, it, you can for sure learn it in high school and some classes do cover it, mm-hmm. but it's, it's important that you get that one down that's a really big one but i'm asking specifically like you know let's assume that no one necessarily comes in having that skill like what would you say is a tip or suggestion to kind of ramp up when you come into the program um i think you just gotta use the program as much as you can um that's how you learn it Mm -hmm. um going into the program you, you you do need all these programs like photoshop illustrator rhino all that stuff like that Mm -hmm. so the earlier you, you learn it, the better off you'll be and the easier time you'll have actually focusing on design instead of learning um, technical programs. Okay, so then I'm gonna throw it to you, Bella. I mean, some students come in knowing how to really sketch well or maybe make physical models. Uh, and then they all, obviously they face, some of them face a real uphill challenge to convert those ideas like, I don't know, a project that you may have done, which was all curvy and stuff. And then you have to like, you made a physical model, which is easy. And then you got to go into the computer or draw it. I mean, how, how does one negotiate going from conventional, like traditional methods of doing architecture to the digital stuff? I mean, as a first year, how does, how do you do that? Um, sorry, could you elaborate on that? What do you mean? Do you mean like translating the project into yeah, like, like drawings? I mean, if, yeah, like if, if a student comes in and they got in with a portfolio full of lots of cool drawings and, and, and physical models, and then we throw them into the, you know, into the thick of things and say, look, you got to now use a computer. I mean, what kind of suggestions or tips would you offer that person where they've been able to really express their really cool ideas in conventional methods and then suddenly they they come face to face with computers i mean how how would you how would you engage that how do you how do you recommend that a student improves or gets better with that i guess i guess like starting small and building up or thinking in a more realistic way for example like the first studio project we had i had this big curvy gateway to the book festival and then we had to do hand-drawn elevations Mm -hmm. and it complicated my life a lot so after that i guess the takeaway how many tears were there tell me about the night of tears there were there were a lot um it was many hours that was one of the all-nighters that's for sure um curves are scary now but basically thinking about things as actual 
um, places that people would live in and exist in rather than just a drawing or a sketch or a painting. It's not one dimensional. It's a, it's a place that people will either be in, around, interact with, um, mm -hmm. be affected by as they move through it. Um, okay. So thinking of things in a different context for sure. Okay, so then that that's from a design standpoint, but I'm going to mm -hmm. go back to and hit, hit up the technical stuff. So Noah, I mean, you seem pretty adept with the computer and you were drilling down to finer, finer details in many of your studio projects, even in first year, first term. I mean, what kind of, uh, looking back at it, would you, would you say that there's any tips or recommendations you could have, you could provide any student in first year now? Yeah, I'd say coming into architecture school, I actually knew SketchUp, I knew AutoCAD and some of those other programs, but jumping into Rhino and some of those more advanced things, I was like completely a fish out of water. And I think it really helps to spend time practicing those outside of like your own projects. So I know some kids can get caught up like only using Rhino when they have to for their project, but not mm -hmm. being able to because they haven't practiced it in other situations. So I spent a lot of time on tutorials, watching videos and like really trying to master the program itself before going into my projects. Yeah, you know what I would, and maybe I'm just old, but, and, and maybe you're gonna, you know, as Ariel would say, like go, okay, boomer kind of thing to me. But at, at the end of the day, I mean, I find that most of you kids are smart enough to go online and look up ways to deal with stuff. Like, I mean, most of us know that if I don't know how to do anything from cook a certain thing or uh, draw a certain way or, you know, pass a certain level in a video game or what have you, there's a video, a tutorial, a walkthrough or something, because someone else has probably had that same dilemma, right? And most of you guys are able to be quick enough to find that stuff, correct? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so it, it seems very strange to me when we're talking about computer stuff that kids will say, uh, oh, I couldn't do it because I didn't know how to do X, Y, or Z. And the reality is that we all know now that you kids are all able to just look it up on the internet. Like, even if I didn't explicitly tell you, right, it shouldn't be like, wait, wait, if, if the props didn't give me exactly the way to do this, then I cannot do this assignment, right? Um, like I, I've had some students that were like, look, um, you're, you're giving me a bad grade on, on my project because I didn't draw my stairs properly. And how was I supposed to know how to draw it? Well, I was like, you, you're, in, you're in second year, you should know how to draw or, you know, the, how, in third year, how do I, how, Vince, how, how is it that I'm supposed to know that there's supposed to be two means of egress? I'm like, you're in third year. How, how, have you not walked in a building before? Like th these are things, things that happen. So I think that in, in a lot of cases, there's a lot of self-guidance from a technical level. So the computer stuff can easily be addressed that way. So I think now that we've covered all the major hurdles in first year, I mean, I'm just gonna quickly go through this, uh, starting with Nohemi and then Noah and then Ariel and then Bella. But can you guys, can each of you guys give me um, a really inspirational suggestion that I could give to first years uh, on, on coming into our program? Oh, goodness, um, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, I think when I first applied to architecture school and when I was looking at doing architecture in general, I had, um, I had one idea of what I thought architecture was. And I think the most exciting part for me was learning how expansive architecture is, whether that is like the details between how a wall next to the floor or the way that people use a building or how like there are social implications of architecture or also just like the people you meet in school. Mm -hmm. I think it was really exciting to see like just how expansive architecture is and it's not just like pretty buildings that you walk by. There's so much more to it and I think that's one of the things that 
keeps me really excited about architecture and was one of the things that I was really excited to learn about when I first got there. So okay. I just think there's a lot in it, makes, makes it exciting. Okay, so I'm actually going to jump back and then I'll change the order. Um, Ariel, can you tell me in, in a more succinct way, uh, <laughs> give me a, a big pitch for why a student would come and take, without saying other competitors, but why would a student come and do Ryerson Architectural Science? Hmm. Well, <laughs> okay, that was not the expected answer. Like, no, 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 no. It's just like, well, after a few months in it, I still don't quit. Come on, man. Wait, no, I haven't been to the other, other schools. But even, even the first project, I felt like, okay, you're going to roast me on this, but I felt like I made something that could actually be built. Huh? Okay. <laughs> No, I think, this conversation's I think over. I'm out. No, 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 like feasible. Okay. Okay. Just it's not just an arts program, and I know for me coming into the school, I was really worried that um, I didn't take any art art classes or anything like that. So, like some people have some really crazy drawings and paintings. I'm like, okay, there's no way I can keep up with this. But um, it's it's more about design and not about pretty pictures, as uh, uh, I kind of learned the hard way. But um, okay. I think there's a big difference between making something that looks cool and making something that is functional and structural and like experiential and all that combined. And I think Ryerson does a really good job of, of um, practicing that. Okay, that's cool. All right, Bella, why would you, what would you say to a kid in high school, you know, looking at architecture programs, why would they come and do Ryerson's? Um, I think Ryerson, has a great faculty actually for teaching. Oh, that's just, I've already given you your grades, oh, man. You don't I'm need to say that. No, <laughs> but like, for example, like Carrie Peters teaches sustainability, who's like already outstanding in her field. Like you have these people who are passionate and have dedicated their life to like learning about these things, giving you knowledge firsthand and having someone give information to you or explain things to you who are like so passionate about it definitely changes how you take information or your attitude towards it going out of it and like especially just little things like it changes the way that you look at the world when you start to see structure in a building or you start to notice the brick patterns as you walk through Toronto like it almost changes the way that you live your life because you start to notice how everything around you expect like the architecture affects how you act in a space. That was a good plug and what a coincidence that you're actually taking a Terry Peters sustainability course right now. <laughs> I'm just saying uh, and it also happens to be that I will be interviewing her in a week. So um, what a coincidence. A little right. intro what? for Terry. Okay. Um, but I, I think I, I did want to close off this question with you, Noah, because Noah, you are a little bit different because you are an American um, and you decided <laughs> to not only come to Canada, but you also took a little bit of time out to, to think about where you go. Right. Um, so why, why did you come to Ryerson as opposed to all the other great programs in the States? Yeah, one thing that drew me about Ryerson was its location because I wanted to see myself in a city environment. I wanted to get out of suburban Rochester living and I wanted to, I wanted to be within the architectural environment like mm -hmm. you are in Toronto. And I think Ryerson's really wonderful for that, especially since I live in a I live in a residence building that's right down the street. So every day I'd walk to class five minutes and you get to walk around the city a lot and become familiar with the buildings. And I think it's really great for 
Yeah, but I mean, you, you you could have gone to like like one of the seven schools in New York. I mean, yeah. why 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 like I mean, New York City. Why not stay in New York State if not go to like the the biggest city in you know North America? Um, why why would you go to Ryerson in Toronto then if it's just a matter of like being in an urban condition? Be honest, I'd say another factor for me and my family was the price because mm -hmm. New York schools are absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. All no, schools I, in the US yeah. are. Yeah, I, I don't blame you on that. Like, I, th I think that yeah. that's a very realistic and like, listen, we're, we're being very candid about that. I think that's a very good uh, message. Uh, we have people listening in that are not necessarily from North America. And, and that is a very uh, notable difference. So I, I think now that we've kind of covered like why you'd want to come here, let's just break it out and close off with, hey, I asked you guys, Give me some good stories from first year. I want, I want to hear some goody, good, funny stories that will just make people go, oh, I remember that. Or just say, that actually happens, right? <laughs> so obviously don't disclose names or anything, but just uh, we'll start with Ariel. But let's, let's, let's go and give me, give me some good stories, man. Something that I remember was um, during our, our final project of the first term, it was almost like a couple days straight where we'd spend something like 20 hours at the architecture building and studio. And it was one night, I think it was, it was all four of us in the call actually who were in the, um, one of the presentation rooms, just um, making some elevations and stuff like that and finishing out our work. And there was these two partition walls that were blocking the doors. So like, Oh no. Peeking on us. Yeah. Bella, it's coming. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know what happened. I think Bella just leaned on one of them and the entire wall. It was really <laughs> and yeah, that was, the, <laughs> well, well, we have names here, but the entire partition just fell over and knocked like a, a sizable dent in the wall. And we just, you know, it's, it's the Bella wall. It was, it was just hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were okay. all away. Don't you shouldn't have you knew this is being recorded. I understand, like you know the stuff being recorded, and you'll say this stuff. Well, we're not gonna name you here, but oh yeah, because was crushed by that giant wall, and the wall suffered much less damage than I would have. But yeah, that that was a really funny story. Okay, so the lesson learned isn't a funny one, but it's uh don't stay in the building too too late and don't lean and do stupid things in late hours when your mind is not at its peak. Um, all right, so <laughs> I will then go to Bella. Can you give me a good story without incriminating anyone, please? Oh, can we come back to me? <laughs> okay, fine. Noah. I, got, I got a story. Thank you, Noah. All right, so I'd say this is the night before our final projects were due for a semester, and a good amount of us were up for like 40 hours straight just grinding out our models because we were working on everything else beforehand. The quickest way to build a model without using... Um, wood glue is either to use super glue or hot glue and somebody over here is against hot glue so you know we have to go with the super glue you use super glue um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So, <laughs> so i just remember after you're working with super glue for about 20 hours straight um <laughs> stuff starts to happen and <laughs> there came a point where <laughs> there's a point where like we ended up having to use a dremel to scrape the super glue off our fingers and uh, it was just a all-around exciting time. So cyanoacetate superglue uh, is is unfortunately 
um, really difficult to break off. Uh, you you kind of have to use appropriate solutions. Uh, I'm glad that you only had to use a Dremel to take it off because we've had scenarios where kids have got super glue in their eyes and Ooh. thank God we have a hospital right downtown Toronto. So come back to your urban condition. It's beautiful <laughs> to have that connectivity. So don't be stupid kids. Um, Nohemi, give me a good story. Uh, I think, I don't know if it's a story, but just a project. Okay, the the tower project in general oh is something that I look back on with bittersweet memories. <laughs> we're talking about funny um, stories, man. I th- oh, I don't not even like reasons know. why you want to kill people. I mean, <laughs> uh, I just I remember for the tower project. I remember building this tower like all through the night and the day before like twenty times. And okay, it so just that's, kept... let's wait. No, Hemi, I think we should pause and just indicate what is the tower project. Oh, okay. So the tower project, um, you have to build two and a half story um, cardboard or other material, but mainly cardboard tower in under five minutes in the middle of the atrium. And it has to be all like not pre-assembled. So you have to put it up in five minutes and get it built and make it stand up on its own. Um, I think it's you're a mess also, of a project. and you're also ignoring, I think, the weird interpretive dance. Uh, oh, yeah. And you have to thing. interpretive dance. Yeah. And it has to weigh <laughs> yeah, less than, it has to weigh less to than five kilograms. Dance. Yeah. On less than five kilograms. Okay. So, so everyone's making the, t- and, and how many people are in the tower group? Oh, like, uh, probably like 10 people, maybe. Okay. okay. But so, too many. So you can picture in the, in one, in the atrium in our building, um, all the first years gathering out like some weird cult. Uh, raising the Burning <laughs> yeah. Man's tower in the atrium and then dancing around their new false idol. So, it, yeah. it, so that's the general picture. Okay, Nohemi, tell us the story then. Oh, well, I just remember our group having to rebuild our tower like 10 times the night before. And we had, it was like 2 a.m. and we like built it once it and was. it finally stood up. And we just kind of had to hope and pray that the next day that when we put it up, it would actually stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we built it and it, and it stood up, but because <laughs> because you're supposed to have an interpretive dance, we were like, hey group, like, okay, we'll build the tower, you guys will dance while we build the tower, and then we'll have like a mark because there was dancing. But because mm-hmm. we were all so stressed out that it wouldn't stand up, the people who were meant to dance were just sort of standing in the back, staring at the tower, just like praying that it wouldn't fall. And it didn't, so it was good, but no dance happened. <laughs> But the power of prayer actually... Yeah, the power uh, of prayer, not the power of dance, kept it up. Okay, and Bella, come on, give me a good story, because you know what, those stories were okay, but they weren't funny. Like, I wanted (laughs) to hear, like, someone getting hurt, someone going to the hospital. It's not funny until, like, someone ends up, like, getting stitches. So, Bella, give me something good. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so in studio, if you want a story where someone gets hurt, I remember we were working on our models and the big thing about the first project, especially because you're working with exacto knives and cardboard is like, do not (laughs) cut yourselves. And we go through the whole thing of how to hold the knife, what kind of rulers to use, what kind of cutting mat and whatnot. And after a few days into this project, I remember like you kind of hear like, oh, this person went to the hospital. Oh, did you hear so-and-so cut their hand? And then it kind of just went on. We were like working. It was late, probably on like a Friday night, I think. And I went to go to the bathroom, walking across the, um, across in the atrium on the fourth floor, um, across, um, near the first year studio. And I'm like, there's blood on the floor. 
Like, why is there blood on the floor? There's drops of blood. It's so weird. And it was like leading to the men's bathroom. So I kind of just walked by, ignored it. And I assumed that someone hurt themselves and not that someone was like stabbed, I guess. I come back to studio and I'm working for a while. And an unnamed student comes in who's in our section and they have a bandage on their hand. And I was like, oh, like, are you okay? Like, they're like, yeah, I, ju I just cut my hand. And I was like, wait, was that, Don't tell was that you <laughs> with the bottle fire? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, you should probably go clean that up. So you went and cleaned him up. But yeah, that was basically it. Like, don't tell Vince. Don't tell Vince I got hurt. <laughs> yeah, you know what's funny? Too, because no one wants to be that kid. I know, I know. But it was even funnier because uh, there's another story about the same project, different student where... Yeah, who uh, did cut their hand. Who did cut their hand. And of course, this student, uh, English was not their first language. Uh, so they got cut. And then... Um, then at that point in time, yeah. they they didn't know how or where to go to get you know stitched up. So of course I don't know why, but the student asked a student, another student who isn't from Toronto, to go guide them to the hospital. So uh, <laughs> so at the end of the day, you had like a person that couldn't speak English and uh, you know being led you know while while bleeding, leaving a trail of blood, um, being led to a medical facility which they don't know exists. Um, by a person who really doesn't know Toronto. So uh, when June, when, when the studio master told me that, I was like, oh, please don't be my section, please. And she was like, yeah, it's from your <laughs> section. I was like, mm. uh, you think you do it right. You think you do it right. Uh, hey, what about the story where two people on the other side of the section thought they were alone? Oh, Are we oh no. Yeah, you can, no, you can talk. You can talk that one. Talk that I one. Yeah, I feel like, okay, no, no. you know, I mean, if uh -oh. what I said before was incriminating, I don't know about this one, but um, basically our entire section <laughs> at studio, like pretty late at night, just because we, we'd all want to get work done. And it, it's almost like that same spiraling effect I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. But um, we started hearing some, some loud music from the other side of the studio. And keep in mind, the other side of the studio is like, on the other side of the building so we can't really see them but mm -hmm. we hear the music that they're playing and that, that's fine and some people play music while they're working and that's okay but um there was some questionable activity like people like walking around with like red solo cups whatever that means mm -hmm. but, um, <laughs> it gets later and later and that music is still going on mm -hmm. so all of us kind of like pack together and um start walking towards their studio session because we're like okay did they just like leave their music on and you guys so, do like, travel in packs which is the best part and we got video yeah. i should mention we got video of this too yes there is well there's there's censored video like it didn't really catch anything okay. but we are all walking towards them and it's just this this like faint moaning and I think that's that's all the depth I need to go into for that. But it was hilarious. It was, it was went into so a little fun. too much depth, to be honest. Yeah. So needless yeah. to say, blood is not the only um, bodily fluid that gets uh, hey, <laughs> passed around <laughs> oh. in studio. So, um, any guys still oh, interested no. in doing architecture? Anyways, uh, just th thank you very much, kids. So I think that uh, pretty much lays the groundwork for first year tips. Um, uh, and also recommendations on how to transition from high school to university and specifically with the architectural studio culture that we got to play from first year perspectives. So I'd like to say once again, thank you very much uh, to Nohemi, Ariel, Noah, and Isabella for joining us. I know it's been a long talk, but I, I hope that uh, this has been fun for anyone listening that is in architecture. 
Um, and hopefully we have not incriminated anyone. Uh, I don't think there's any defamation material here. Um, but those of you guys that are interested in taking architecture, uh, we've got also reasons why our program offers a very unique opportunity to deal with architectural education. Um, and I hope that uh, you'll take this episode's content in the best possible way uh, and, and uh, apply as you see fit. So I just want to say thanks again, Nohemi, Ariel, Noah, Bella. Say bye, kids. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>